This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. While you're on the web, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Subscribe. You get the newscast every Monday through Thursday, and you get your own poem written for you in red on air. We're going to read a haiku later in the show today. So after we went off the air yesterday, there was a big kerfuffle in the House. Uh, Democrats tried to and did pass a resolution condemning Trump's racist shit over the last few days, Uh, the stuff he tweeted and then backed up uh, in IRL. In IRL, what am I, 48 years old? <laughs> in in real life. At his press conference. At his press conference, uh, attacking the squad, um, racist, with racist attacks, saying they should go back to their home countries. Anyways, uh, Republicans said that Pelosi, Pelosi went into a speech uh, condemning Trump for being a racist. Uh, and Republicans said that that was against the rules, and they're actually right. There are really dumb, arcane rules that govern debate in the House that prohibit lawmakers from personally insulting the president, like by calling him a racist. I mean, it's not it's not so much a person; it's not an insult as yeah. so much describing what he but is. But that's like one of the examples in right, right in the right. rules is that you cannot call the president a racist, even if he is. A racist. I guess it breaks decorum and mustn't break the decorum. So there's like a big back and forth and Republicans tried to have Pelosi's speaking privileges stripped for the day. And then Democrats voted to reinstate her speaking privileges. Meanwhile, as all this was going on, Liz Warren defended Pelosi, tweeting out, let's be very clear. Real Donald Trump's tweets were racist. Persist, Speaker Pelosi. Persist. Hashtag. She persisted. Well, uh, I regret to inform the senator from Massachusetts that Pelosi did not, in fact, persist. In fact, Pelosi was never really persisting or resisting or anything during a press conference today. Pelosi made sure to distance herself from ready any any sort of radical interpretations of what went down in the House yesterday. She wanted to make sure that Democrats did not indeed call the president a racist. Well, the, the fact is, is that uh, it was a resolution of the House and not some legislation that has to go to the Senate or be signed by, uh, by the president. And it was a, for us to say, and by the way, in the most gentle way, you have no idea the provisions that some people wanted to have in that resolution. This was as benign. It condemned the words of the president, not the president, but the words of the president. And in doing so, it anchored itself in the words of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Beautiful speech by Ronald Reagan, which I reference all the time. <laughs> what are we doing here? What is? What does she think her job is here? Because we're going to have an impeachment vote later this evening as well. And Al Green, we talked about it on the show yesterday. And more than likely... Pelosi has instructed whoever's in the chair, Republicans might ask for a table, whatever. There's going to be a motion to table it. Pelosi's going to see to it 
that it's either going to be tabled or referred to committee so that you won't actually have a final vote on impeachment or anything. So she's going to be following in the footsteps of Paul Ryan and other Republican leadership that each time Al Green brought his resolution to the floor the last two years, it was tabled. So Pelosi approaching with the same strategy, going off what she said, praising Reagan, knowing what she's going to do later this evening with the impeachment vote. Pelosi, she does not think of herself as the leader of an opposition party to Trump. I believe she's come to think of herself as what people in Washington believe should be the principled Republican opposition to Trump. That everybody's like, where where are Republican politicians to speak out against Trump? There's obviously this vacuum that needs to be filled, even though it never existed. This is Trump's Republican Party. But clunkhead centrists and beltway people, whatever, I don't even know what lanyard dipshits. I think that's a good description of these people believe in a two party system with two principled parties and that the Republican party, there is somewhere that they're going to speak out against Trump, not really take him out of power, but at least speak out against him. So Pelosi is taking it upon herself to fill that role that she's going to act like the way we think someone like Kevin McCarthy should be acting right now. And it's an embarrassment for everyone. The democratic party is Trump. Well, yeah, except Trump, but the democratic party is generally an embarrassment, but the rank and file, the, the, it's not totally monolithic and there are definitely people within it who want to do good things. Certainly a lot of the, uh, rank and file, uh, we can, I think, attribute some decent motivation to Pelosi does not represent the rank and file. Pelosi represents the donor class. And this yes. is what she's doing time and time again. And, and the that, donor uh, class is apolitical. <laughs> pretty apolitical. And that's why she always makes these appeals. I mean, apolitical, they're bipartisan, I should right, say. Right, they're right. very interested yes, in politics. Of course, but of course. They, they don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. Sure, sure. And I think she has brought up Ronald Reagan at least every other weekly press conference. She brings him up so much because she she doesn't fucking care about the rank and file. Yeah. Not at all. I uh I I tweeted this out uh, a few days ago. I it was a uh uh from a what's it called? A uh, Atlantic pro a friendly Atlantic profile of Pelosi uh that was published in 2015. In 2013 and 2014, this is according to Pelosi's office. She did something like 750 fundraisers. That's more than one a day. When is the last time she spent any meaningful amount of time with a person who isn't just fucking writing a giant check? I don't know. It's warped her brain. So it, It's really a strike against Elizabeth Warren, too, I think, that, yeah. <laughs> that she tried to do this. That she like, persisted. Not realizing stuff. that we're partially in this situation. And yes, Trump is a racist. But I don't think Trump would be going on this racist tirade against very popular members of Congress for very popular members of Congress had Pelosi not started this. Of course not. And we see the timing of this is important here. (laughs) And as we saw yesterday, Trump is fucking using their bullshit poll numbers that they selectively released. And he's using that uh, against these same women paired with these same racist attacks. Uh, that building off of an attack that came from dim leadership. So it's so it's uh uh-uh. read read the room better, Elizabeth yeah. Warren. 
And I get that a lot of this is sort of inside baseball at this point, like how the party should deal with impeachment or punishing the White House when they are a minority and the Republicans control the Senate and everything. But I don't know. This is extremely demonstrative of how the Democratic Party operates in our two-party system and what complete failure it's become. And also, Pelosi does have to run for re-election. So we should document all these cases in which she's been completely awful in her job as the leader of the Democratic Party in Congress, leading the opposition to Trump. She needs to be held accountable for it. And uh, one way that that can happen is she can be voted out of office. She can and she should be. And uh, she needs to realize that impeachment is definitely not... Uh, insider baseball, even if some of the procedural stuff is, but in, in an impeachment inquiry, he's obviously not going to be removed from office by the Senate. Although I say obviously, you're not, who knows what's going to come up in the impeachment inquiry, but yeah. whether or not he gets removed by the Senate, the inquiry numbers is like it impacts the, uh, sorry, what comes up in the inquiry impacts the public perception of Trump. Which is why we're getting nervous about uh, or, or why we're seeing higher uh, approval rating numbers, because Nancy Pelosi is refusing to go after this dirt. And I don't mean dirt in a derogatory term. I mean, dirt as in like he's doing crimes. Let's investigate them. Yeah. Yeah. Some somewhat good news here, I guess. Jesus. The, the bar for what passes as good news now is pretty low. Politico reporting that Trump is allowing Rand Paul to sit down with Javad Zarif, Iran foreign, foreign minister, uh, in hopes of settling tensions. Zarif in the U.S. this week uh, at the United Nations. Uh, much better than John Bolton taking the point on Iran stuff. If dumbass Rand Paul is leading it, I feel at least uh, a little bit better about it. Goes to show you, though, that uh, you can be anti-war, you can try to uh, push for peace, and still be a complete right-wing dipshit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is good news, though. I mean, Rand Paul, obviously less hawkish than other uh, wings of the Republican Party. But I also have to admit that when I heard this story, I thought, oh, God, what sort of a uh, uh, libertarian dipshit thing is Rand Paul going to say to Javad Zarif that's going to get his ribs broken this time? <laughs> <laughs> Rand Paul made the pitch for himself to be this kind of emissary uh, while he's with Trump on some golf trip last week. I love that Rand Paul just grovels in front of Trump and goes on golf trips what? with him after just being completely insulted by Trump for months during the Republican primary. It's truly weird, uh, Rand Paul. Wasn't Lindsey Graham on it, uh, playing golf with them at probably. the time? So he probably heard Rand Paul say, hey, send me to talk to Zarif, and got super pissed at that. <laughs> so fuck you, Lindsey Graham, you goddamn d- missile horny asshole. <laughs> it's Wednesday, July 17th, 2019. Here's the rest of the news. Federal prosecutors have wrapped up their probe of the Trump Organization for allegedly violating campaign finance law. The end of the probe was signaled today by a district judge's order in Manhattan. The inquiry centered around hush money payments to adult film actress and ex-Trump lover Stormy Daniels. They were famously made through Trump ex-fixer lawyer Michael Cohen, who has already pleaded guilty to violating campaign finance law for orchestrating the payments to Daniels and another woman. 
No one at the Trump organization is being charged, but that doesn't necessarily mean the end of trouble for the president. Today's court order pertained to a request to unseal files in the case. Government lawyers were seeking redactions that were denied by District Judge William H. Pauley. In his order, Pauley ordered the government by tomorrow at 11 a.m. to release the investigative materials, quote, unredacted in their entirety, blacking out only the names of cops and people who did business with Cohen's taxi medallion business. In other words, if prosecutors relied on the theory Robert Mueller also used in his investigation that you cannot indict a sitting president, we could know that by tomorrow morning. If we do see that, and obviously a bit speculative at this point, definitely more pressure on Nancy Pelosi to finally fucking do something, because here we will have again a uh, an opinion, a legal opinion coming from federal prosecutors that we cannot do anything about the president doing crimes that is Congress's purview. Yet again, uh, that would come and people would be looking at Pelosi like fucking do something about it. Yeah. Even if that isn't the case, if they just find that they couldn't move forward with charges or an indictment, yeah. that is just as outrageous considering how clear the evidence is yeah. and the receipts that were brought by Michael Cohen of who is involved in this conspiracy to commit this crime of hush money payments, plus all the other stuff that Cohen brought during his uh, testimony. It's just yet another example of the inability to hold rich and powerful people accountable for crimes that you and I would be punished severely for. Well, whatever is in the uh, court filings tomorrow, there, there's going to be at least one funny anecdote, <laughs> I think, because we truly live in the stupidest times uh, ever. A bipartisan Homeland Security Advisory Panel testified before Congress today to give their findings on asylum-seeking families from Central America. Unsurprisingly, since the panel is staffed by Homeland Security goons, they basically want to end most asylum-seeking and trafficked in conspiracy theories. On the findings, the panel complained how families remain in the U.S. without authorization after losing their asylum case, making no note that these rejections have risen sharply under the Trump administration, as if the problem is with the claimant and not the rejections. Predictably, the panel also addressed what they described as a poll factor, the supposed permissiveness of U.S. immigration law. It totally ignored the push factor, maybe because the United States is responsible for propping up corrupt governments in Central America, a shameful tradition that has been going on for well over a century. The war on drugs has also added a twist to this awful dynamic, fueling gang violence that forces families to seek asylum here in recent years. But there was no mention of that from the Bipartisan Homeland Security Panel, nor, were there, nor was there a recommendation to increase the number of visas granted to people in failing Central American states. It's almost as if Homeland Security does not actually care about migrants making a dangerous journey, even though they complain about it all the time and say, even though they use it all the time to justify their draconian policies. As noted, the panel is recommending a total clampdown on asylum seekers. It wants Congress to pass a law reversing the Flores legal settlement, which puts a 20-day limit on how long children can be detained with their parent or guardian, which, by the way, seems to suggest they want to detain families indefinitely. Lord knows how long they'll keep them detained. The panel also called for biometric examination of children so DHS can determine if they are brought by their own parents. 
which already sounds a little bit creepy on its own, but even more creepy, it cited a conspiracy theory to justify the recommendation, citing, quote, the recycling of children at the border. The theory here is that smugglers are using the same kids over and over again to help adults exploit U.S. immigration law and sneak into the country. But BuzzFeed found DHS officials were only able to point to one case where recycling allegations or an investigation was even made. And that theory was floated last September by then DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen. Despite this, here's some of the Senate testimony today from Jason Ahern. He is a member of this bipartisan DHS panel. When you take a look at some of the family units that we've seen and unaccompanied children, by the way, I haven't seen the recent numbers, but they're well into the four or 5,000 range of unaccompanied children who've actually been recycled by smuggling organizations. Now, uh, unsurprisingly, these numbers appear nowhere in the panel's written testimony, which is the written report. So I don't know where the fuck he's getting this from. It it sounds like he's just making it up. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully no one was paying attention or recording this or anything on camera. <laughs> Bolstering Ahern's sleazebag credentials, he uh, worked for Border Patrol for 33 years, eventually going through the revolving door to become a Homeland Security profiteer. He now works for the private security company started by Michael Chertoff, who is George W. Bush's, who was George W. Bush's second Homeland Security secretary. Uh... It seems like the one thing this bipartisan Homeland Security panel proves is basically just that DHS should be bulldozed into the sea. It's an awful institution. It's not going to be run well by other Democrats or Republicans. Just bulldoze it into the fucking sea. Abolish DHS. Finally today, NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine testified before a Senate committee outlining plans to send astronauts to the moon in the next five years, and then eventually Mars. It was a goal announced by President Trump back in 2017. It's called Project Artemis, named after Apollo's twin sister, Bridenstine, uh, making it a selling point that they plan to put women on the moon this time. Here was Bridenstine. Hell yeah, moon queens. <laughs> here was Bridenstine laying out the vision here. Time when we go to the moon, we're doing it entirely differently. Uh, the direction is to go sustainably. In other words, to have access to the moon anytime, but not just anytime, but have access to the entirety of the moon. So we don't miss another stunning discovery like water ice, which we missed for almost, well, yeah, almost 40 years. Um, so we want to go back to the moon sustainably. We want to have access to all parts of the moon anytime we want. And of course, we want to use this as the proving ground. It is, I want to be clear, this is the proving ground. It is how we learn to live and work on another world using the resources of that world so we can, in fact, take that technology, take that capability to Mars. I mean, that sounds badass. I'm all about that, going back to the moon. I remember growing up as a kid, I grew up an hour away from Cape Canaveral, so I was a space boy. I'm still a space boy. I love watching space stuff. So I wanted to watch the space hearing today, <laughs> cover the space. But I remember it not making sense that, oh, we went to the moon like 20 years before I was born. And now we just orbit around Earth. So, yeah, we should be going back to the moon, then going to Mars, be on the moon by 2024. That all sounds tight. Except listening to 
Bridenstine explain who exactly we're relying on to get to the moon doesn't exactly inspire confidence. We're relying on Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos this time Ugh. and other corporate space outfits that have been awarded more than $45 million to develop the vehicles that will take humans to these other worlds. Here's Bridenstine again. When you take a look at some of the family... We, um, what we lack right now um, is a lander. The United States of America has not had a moon lander since 1972, the last time we landed on the surface of the moon. Uh, that's something that we need to develop. Uh, of course, we have commercial partners that have been, they've been investing their own money. That being said, um, it's not cheap to build a lander. And of course, they're looking for support from NASA, and we want to be that support. We believe doing a public-private partnership is an important thing. Boo. And at the end, with a public-private partnership, Boo. they will be able to have customers that are not NASA. Oh, so I, I, going to the moon is nothing but a giant marketing campaign for <laughs> Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to get customers beyond NASA so that they can get into space tourism. I, I have a... Uh a condition that causes me to boo whenever I hear the term uh, public-private partnership. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm not confident Elon Musk gets us uh, to the moon in the next five years. I'll be happy to eat my words on this. And if I do, let's hope Bernie Sanders is uh, president. He should be president when we're back on the moon, I feel like. I, I got to be honest. I don't want Elon Musk to be successful. You're right. Uh, I, I just I want us to be should. back on the moon, <laughs> but without Elon Musk and Bernie president. Yeah. No, that, that is that is something to want for sure. I'm just saying I also want Elon Musk to fail at everything he yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, another issue raised during the hearing, a problem that's more down to earth. Bridenstine was asked about a study NASA recently did, which found that a plan by the Federal Communications Commission to open up more Spectrum 5G development could set weather forecasting back by 40 <laughs> years. Amazing. So this is pretty complicated stuff. I'm not going to pretend to know how it works, but it, essentially FCC Chairman Ajit Pai announced a plan to expand 5G coverage in the U.S. by auctioning off parts of the 24 gigahertz band to tele to telecom companies there's all, yeah. all these spectrum in the air spectrum bands <laughs> yeah and you auction them <clears throat> off to, for development for wi-fi and other things Wave and radio waves and wavelengths. Shit. yeah so or whatever so yeah so igpi is wants to open up this new band for 5g development anyways the action went forward the spectrum was sold but before these companies have taken possession and begin developing their 5g networks nasa discovered that spillover what's called out of band emissions from that spectrum could leak into other spectrums that rely that are relied upon for weather forecasting. In fact, NASA's study projected as much as 70% data corruption of weather satellites, which would set back U.S. weather predictive abilities to like 1980. IG Pi recently testified before the same Senate Commerce Committee and dismissed NASA's findings as nothing to worry about. But today, Bridenstein stood by his research and said there is still very much something to worry about. Now, I will tell you, I just want to be really clear. Um, this was a study done by NASA on behalf of NOAA. NASA didn't have a dog in this fight, other than we have great scientists and engineers that can do this kind of analysis. That's it. Um, and I, I can tell you um, that depending on the decibel level in that 23.6 gigahertz, 
uh, we, we could lose significant data. Now, de again, depending on that decibel level, we could lose, according to the study, up to 70% of that data. And if that were to happen, uh, it would affect our ability to predict weather without, without question. But I, I, I will tell you, there is a risk here. <laughs> so somehow we've found ourselves in a position where we can have super fast internet across the country or modern weather forecasting, but not both. Not both. Stunning. FCC, uh, <clears throat> Ajit Pai leading the same FCC that regularly puts out warnings that municipal broadband, uh, a.k.a. cities providing internet service like they do with often with power and other things, how, how that would threaten the First Amendment. <laughs> it's like saying like a, a municipal power company somehow threatens the First Amendment by fuck our indoor plumbing. Ajit Pai has done a lot of dumb shit as the chair of the FCC, most notably repealing net neutrality rules, going after, as you just mentioned, community broadband. Uh, he did that really stupid viral video that broke all sorts of ethics rules uh, <laughs> during his campaign to repeal net neutrality, um, overseen all sorts of questionable mergers. But turns out his greatest legacy might be destroying our weather satellites. <laughs> I just picture him like, who's that? Uh, K Kurt Russell at the end of Escape from L.A. or something where he presses the button that turns us back to the dark ages but he does it and it just destroys our weather predictive capabilities well done <laughs> that's the newscast for today before we go we got a new subscriber on patreon patreon.com slash district sentinel so they get a haiku this is for Lara. normal summertime went to the store almost died Thanks, fossil fuel guys. Thank you, Lara. And no thank you, fossil fuel guys. Thanks to all our new patrons. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Make sure you get the full newscast in your dome every Monday through Thursday by subscribing. That'll do it for the entirety of today's show. Thanks to our sponsor, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. We'll be back tomorrow. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.